0: November 11th, 1999. Subject is one Clara Beaumont, age 31. Subject is standing in a vast desert of dull red sand. The air tastes sharp and metallic. In front of her is the ruined skeleton of a dead city. The disintegrating skyscrapers leak a coarse red powder, burying themselves ever deeper. She remarks, like an hourglass. She almost sounds amused. The wind blows softly, but carries shards of the iron sand that sting her face and arms. She observes her surroundings for another moment, then begins to walk into the ruins. This place is not unfamiliar to her. By my count, this will be her ninth visit, and though it has been some years since her last, it seems time has done little to obfuscate her memory. During her first few visits, she had thought the buildings were supposed to be places to hide from an unseen beast lurking in the dunes. Only when it became clear that she was indeed the only living thing in this plain did she dare to venture outside of them. Now she regards them with sort of reverent pity, like cadavers serving as their own gravestones. She is climbing the stairs of a high-rise, trying to get a better view of the place. Considering how many times she has been here and has taken her surprisingly long to think of this, She takes her time scouring the remaining intact rooms of the place before resting on the precipice of the exposed side. It is worth noting that she spent the entirety of an early visit running through this very building, convinced something from the desert had followed her inside. Perhaps nostalgia plays a role in her choosing this particular building. I do hope this is the case and that she has not begun to take notice of my presence. Her newly found vantage point indeed grants her a comprehensive view of her surroundings, but still, it is no less bleak. Just more rolling black clouds and stinging red sand. She hangs her head. Coming to this place is always so depressing for her. Then she notices something leaning against the building, a peculiar shape like a giant overturned broken flower pot with a long pendulum dangling from its center, a bell. She barrels down the stairs and back into the sand. To her relief and surprise, it is still there when she arrives. The bell, while ancient and worn, appears to be in... remarkably better condition than everything else she has come across in this place. Why this thing, she wonders aloud, echoing my own thought. She knocks thrice on the lip. It sounds... so terribly thirsty a look of disappointment comes over her. She looks back at the husk of the building and rests against, then to the roof, and quickly makes for the stairs once again. It seems she has an idea. She swings her way up the stairwell with an athleticism she does not and has never possessed and bounds through the door to the roof. Up here, the wind blows harder and the sand it carries leaves scratches. Right now, however, she is too focused to notice. As she approaches the edge of the roof, she reaches into her pocket and produces a single white marble. Looking down at her target, she feels a sudden rush of vertigo as she realizes just how high up she is much higher than she would have guessed the building to be. Sinking to her knees for security, she reaches over the ledge and drops the marble. It falls and falls and falls and strikes the bell directly on the sound bow. The air splits with a thunderous chime. The earth shakes, sending noxious red clouds rising up in all directions. Subject cries out in surprise and sensory overload. She clutches her head and recoils from the noise. In doing so, she steps over the ledge of the building. Panic overtakes her as she feels herself begin to plummet. She feels her stomach moving up into her throat and cannot shake the feeling that at any moment it will slip out of her mouth. It is a uniquely wretched feeling for her. After what feels like minutes, she hits the ground feeling only mild shock, quickly replaced by relief that the ordeal is over. However, the bell has still not stopped ringing. And now the aching groan of a lightning rod falling from an eviscerated skyscraper has joined the cacophony. She cries out, begging for the noise to stop. And the noise does not stop, but it does change its sharp edges soften and it crystallizes into a steady musical drone. Subject looks up to see the bell is gone along with most of the buildings. The sound the sound now comes from four Colossal figures, one in each cardinal direction, manifested as if from nothing. They appear humanoid, though gargantuan in size and lanky in proportion and emaciated to the point of ghoulishness. Their skin is a mix of splotchy yellows and browns, stark against the reds and blacks of the sand and sky, Bony fingers, their long, jagged fingernails, caked in dirt and what I assume to be tar. A white, crystalline substance falls from the corners of their eyes, squinting and unblinking. Many teeth are missing from their mouths. The ones that remain are worn down to septic brown stumps. All four kneel in abject supplication. Legs folded, backs arched, palms and heads lifted to the sky. Mouths open in a perpetual one-note hymn. Even on their knees, they dwarf everything else in the landscape. These... These are new. And the subject seems to realize it. The closest one to her is separated by miles. She arrives at it in five steps. Once close enough to touch it, she is standing fully under the crevice between the ground and the giant's calf. She reaches out and glides her hand across it. A swath of flaking skin comes away. The minuscule scratch exposes milky, atrophied muscle. The flaking yet viscous skin sticks to her hand. Her stomach turns and her nose crinkles, but she cannot look away from her hand for several seconds. Though these giants are the only things of flesh and blood she has ever encountered here, it appears they may be even more ancient than everything else. She is now at the creature's feet. On each, she finds a flight of stairs, starting at the big toe and ending at the heel. She mounts the first step on the right foot. It yields slightly. She begins to ascend. Every step pulls up chunks of the giant skin which steadily cake to her feet like mud. When she reaches the heel, she stops to take a look. She can see much further than she ever has before even more than from atop the building she had scaled earlier. But even with her increased scope, the desert still consumes everything in sight. But no. She sees something on the horizon. A brief reflection, a, a rippling glint of light. Water. She must get higher to find out. She turns back and finds that the giant's spine as well forms a long, craggy staircase. She can feel the creature's rigid bone underfoot, and it does help to scrape away most of the dead skin from her feet. Once she has reached the shoulder, she looks out again. There is, indeed, an ocean on the horizon. But the waters are a putrid shade of brown, and each wave vomits a profusion of debris onto the shores. She hopes, of all things, to see a bone among the refuse, And the tide only brings heaps of shapeless plastic. She lets out a frustrated grunt, but she is not giving up. She climbs the bony ladder on the back of the creature's neck to its upturned forehead, and once again looks out. She can now see the world in its entirety. She looks in every direction, over every contour from pole to pole, but to her utter disappointment she sees no oasis in the wasteland. If ever there was life in this crumbling world, it was buried with everything else. Now she turns her eyes down to the droning goliath on which she stands. With the benefit of proximity, she can now see that the beast is crying, though it has no water within it to expel. Its eyes only produce... A slow stream of salt. She feels betrayed. Though she had been wary and intimidated of these giants upon seeing them, they had given her hope of finding something living in this corpse of civilization, even if as diseased and ruined as the poor creatures themselves. She looks down into its eye, hoping that it will at least find some comfort in her presence. But although she can see life in its eyes, it cannot seem to see hers. Perhaps, she thinks, it has been too long for them. Too long weeping for their loss too long waiting for life to return. She tilts her head to look at the same sky it has looked at for far longer than she can imagine. Then, she begins to wail. She is looking into a starless sky black screen of a universe littered with planets like this one hollow rotting cadavers of gas and rock where life has been gone far longer than it ever existed she understands now these giants are the final grievers of life of space of time They are the pallbearers at the funeral of creation. A death as dismal as it is predictable. She knows that if she ever sees this place again, they will be here. Perhaps worn down to bone by the winds. But here they will stay. Singing their requiem for existence until their throats turn to ash. And the wind stops blowing. is silent forever subject has re-entered